Let me invite you to open up to the book of Ruth in your Bibles. In just a moment, we'll be looking at verse 19 of chapter 1 on into the first part of chapter 2 today. As we are making our way through the book of Ruth this summer, again, we're, we're doing so verse by verse, piece by piece in this story, but with a, a particular interest in focus on how this story speaks to belonging, how it speaks about what it means to be part of a family, what it means to be known and blessed and healed as part of a family, and how God designs and puts together families in, in new and in powerful ways, ways that, that transcend kind of just the maybe narrow, narrower vision of family that, that we may think of. So we're going to see more of that work, more of, of what God is up to in creating belonging this morning. But as we, as we look at the passage today, I want us to think about it in terms of, of kind of two words on a, on a dynamic, on a range or a spectrum. And those are the words empty and full. Empty and full. I think we're going to see both of those things in the passage today. Later today, after the, the worship service is over, I'll be getting in my truck and I'll be headed through the Adirondack Mountains to join Katie and the kids who are there um, vacationing with Katie's family at, at the lake. They, uh, they have a place on Cranberry Lake, which is in the, the far kind of northwest corner of the Adirondacks. But when I take that drive uh, later this afternoon, I will be paying close attention to my fuel gauge because uh, a few years back, Katie and I were, were taking the same trip. Our kids were already there with family, and, and we were driving together in our minivan at the time. And I was behind the wheel. And if you've been through that part of the Adirondacks, you'll know sometimes you can go quite some distance before you see another town or a city. And I was driving along. And I was aware that you know, the tank was getting low, but I tend to be pretty optimistic about these things. And I, I knew that there was this little light on the dashboard that would pop up when you had you know, 20 or 30 miles left to go in the tank. But I was talking to Katie, we were listening to music, I wasn't paying attention, and that light popped on and I didn't even see it. Where my hand was on the steering wheel, I didn't even notice it on the dash. So we just kept driving, I kept driving, and we were, we were getting close to camp, I think we were about 10 miles away, and we passed a gas station. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hey, maybe I should stop, and I thought, nah, it's, it's only 10 miles, we're gonna make it, we'll get there, no need, you know, let's, let's just, Let's motor on, let's keep going. And of course, we got about three quarters of a mile past the gas station. We're going up this big hill, and suddenly the van you know, starts to, to sputter, and then it came to a full stop. And the first thing, you know, we, we sort of, I, I moved the van over into the, the margin of the road there, and Katie and I had a, an exchange, you know, we exchanged looks. <laughs> she said, what, what just happened? And, and Katie's the kind of person that if the, the tank is less than half full, right, she's going to stop, she's going to pull over, she's going to fill up. And we've had these conversations in the past. Well, this finally caught up with me. And I said, I think we ran out of gas. 
how did that happen, right? And so we had to get out of the, the van, and we, we both decided we would just leave the van there, and we would, we would hike back to the gas station about a mile away. And we were probably two or three minutes into that walk when someone pulled by going the opposite direction, and they turned around, and they stopped, and they pulled over, and they asked if they could help us. And we said, yeah, that'd be great. We ran out of gas. I ran out of gas. <laughs> Can you take us to the filling station? And we're in the middle of nowhere, right? And, and sure enough, within like 30 seconds, Katie goes, I think I know you, which Katie knows like everybody. If you know my wife, Katie, she's connected. Turns out this was like an old soccer coach of hers from middle school or something who happened to be in the area. So he took us back. He got a can, a filling can, drove us back to the car. We, we filled up, and we made it on our way. And I, was, I was never so grateful right, to have someone's help, just to, to fill that tank back up and to get back on the road and get going. But it was also... You know, a little bit, it felt a little vulnerable to, to name, you know, that it was my mistake. It was my kind of misplaced confidence that, that caused uh, us to, to be delayed in our trip. Again, today we're going to be thinking about those, those dynamics. What it means to be empty. What it looks like to be filled up again. But not on a, a mechanical or an automotive level, but on a, on a personal and emotional and spiritual dimension. And I want us, as we're thinking about that, to think about how those things happen within the context of a family, or how they could happen in the context of a family. Because I think if we come to understand that we belong to a family that God has created, that God has called together and placed around us, it's easier for, for two things to happen. One, it becomes easier for us to acknowledge when we are empty. And there will be times when we are empty. Hopefully we don't run all of the way out of, of what we possess. We don't hit you know, the, the full empty level. But to do that, we need to acknowledge right, that, that we need to stop, that we need to be filled. And secondly, when we know we belong to a family, it's easier for us to invite others to be part of our filling, right, to help us get to that filling station so that we can, we can keep moving forward. I want to I look to, together with you then at the book of Ruth. We're going to pick up at verse 19 in chapter 1. And I think we see these two things happening in the passage this morning. As we open up the, the word of God, can you help me with the, the slides? Move us forward there. Thanks, Sam. As we open up the, the word of God this morning, though, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are the fullness of life itself. You are the, the fullness of what it means to be human, and you are also the fullness of, of God made flesh. And as the Apostle Paul prays that, you, that we might be filled to, to the overflowing with your presence, Lord, may, may your word minister to us this morning. And may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of our hearts and the confessions and the acknowledgments of our own hearts this morning be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. 
to bring us up to speed where we're at in the story, last week we looked at Naomi's decision to return home. And we talked about how we make choices as people about where we decide home is going to be. And not just physical spaces or places, but also who the people we're going to invite into that sense of home are. Right? Who do we share ourselves with? Who are family to us? And we looked at how Ruth had to make those decisions, Naomi made those decisions, and they decide to travel together back to Bethlehem. But as we come to verse 19 this week, I want you to begin to imagine what it must have been like for Naomi to come home to Bethlehem. To return, yes, to the, the place of her youth, the place where she was known, the place where she had family and neighbors. But also, it was a place where she would be setting herself before the eyes of those who knew her before everything that has transpired. It was to bring herself vulnerably before people who knew her before a decade of sickness and stress and grief and death. And to know that they, they wouldn't but help compare who she is now to the, the former person, her former self, before she left. And we see that unfold here in verses 19 through 21. It says, so the two women, Naomi and Ruth, went on from Moab until they came back to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune upon me. I imagine that by the time Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, they are running on empty. Right? They've already been through the ordeal in Moab. They would have been on the road to vulnerable women for an entire week, concerned, I'm sure, for their own safety, exhausted, hungry. And so when they get to town, they're probably running on fumes. And it says that as they entered the edge of the village there, verse 19, there was a great commotion, right? The whole town was stirred because of their arrival. And I assume there were probably sort of two dimensions to that commotion and that excitement. The first, largely positive, right? There was likely a, a warmth and a celebration at the recovery of someone that they loved who had been lost and was now returned. 
And so we see the, the question that the women exclaim as they enter the village. Can this be Naomi? And I think we can hear that in two different ways. And maybe it was spoken in two different ways. The first, again, is positive. Can this be Naomi after all these years? Right? Our friend who has been lost to us has finally returned. Can you believe it? Can this be Naomi? But I wonder if in the moments following that expression, if the women didn't also turn to one another, and sort of whispering under their breath, say, can this be Naomi? Is this the woman we knew before? What happened to the woman we knew whose name meant full of of, of beauty, who meant the faithfulness of God. What happened to that woman of vitality and kindness? Can this be Naomi? The years have not been kind to Naomi. And imagine the, the strength then of, of will and courage it took for Naomi to walk into that village, back into and through that commotion, and to choose to make her home there again. And with the, the last bit of strength I imagine Naomi has, verse 20, Naomi answers their question. She confronts their curiosity by saying, don't call me Naomi. By acknowledging that they're right, she is not Naomi any longer. She's not the same person who left with her husband Elimelech and her sons Malon and Kilion a decade before. I imagine Naomi saying, I'm not the same person. The years have changed me. So stop your whispering, stop your wondering, stop remembering the old Naomi, and she says, acknowledge, let's all acknowledge who I am today. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me Mara because I am a woman the Lord sent away full, but has brought back empty. Why call me Naomi any longer? And I'm sure at that point, the stirring and the commotion turned to silence. Naomi is choosing to do something in these three verses that most of us aren't very good at. I'm not very good at. And that takes real courage. Naomi is practicing what I would call lament. And she is acknowledging under the pain of public scrutiny that she is empty, that she has run out of strength. She has run out of blessing. She acknowledges that she is bitter about that. 
And she acknowledges that both in, in the company of these women who surround her, but she also places that complaint squarely at the feet of Yahweh, the God of Israel. For she says, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi is saying, God, I am empty. Let's not pretend any longer. And the problem with lament is that for most of us, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us anxious. For those of us who are eager to return to feeling happy, lament is an inconvenience to us. Some of us are inclined to say, well, why don't we just look on the bright side? Right? Can't we just Pollyanna our way through these things? Remember and, and be grateful for our many blessings. And yet I want us to, to pause for a second, and I want to I challenge those impulses in us. Because I believe lament is a practice we see in Scripture. Lament is a practice that I think Scripture affirms we need to know how to do as families. Because it was, it was integral to the people of God. Read the book of Exodus. There is lament. Read the book of Lamentations, whose name itself is lament. Read the book of Jeremiah. Read the book of the Psalms. Read Jesus' struggle in Gethsemane. Read Paul's letter of 2 Corinthians. If you take the practice of lament out of Scripture, you have maybe half a Bible left to read. And so, one half of the assignment I would give us this morning is to consider, is there something or is there someone who is empty right now that you have been reluctant to acknowledge? Maybe that's your own emptiness. Maybe it's a, it's a doubt or a place of bitterness, or a wound that you carry. Maybe it's the emptiness of a, a family member or a friend. Maybe it's an emptiness you notice in the community surrounding you. Lament is a posture of acknowledging what is broken, what is empty, and listening to that, expressing being part of, of the family that comes around those who are empty. So lament, I think, requires the, the courage to acknowledge our own emptiness. But I think an important piece of what happens here is, is expressing those things with and to one another. Lament is a, is a family practice. It's a communal practice. Because I think God desires to meet us in the expression of emptiness and lament. And so here, God places around Naomi the women of Bethlehem, and in particular, the woman of Ruth, who are witnesses to her lament, 
but are also people God will send and set around her to be part of her refilling. And we see that beginning to happen as we move toward the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. Can you help me jump to the next slide? Look with me at verse 22 in chapter 1 on through verse 7, chapter 2. It says, So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Can you help me jump to the next passage? Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and she has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. going to pause there this week. And next week, we're going to, to look at Boaz's response. But here, I want us to pay particular attention to Ruth. And how if, if Naomi models for us what it looks like to be a person set in a family who acknowledges emptiness, who expresses lament. Ruth, I think, is attached to this family and in this, and on this occasion, helps embody, helps demonstrate for us the other side of that coin. And that is, is how families are also places of filling up, of restoration, of rebuilding. And I want us to notice a few things about how Ruth responds to Naomi in this passage couple things that I think contribute to her ability to be a person of filling in Naomi's life. The first is that Ruth journeys with Naomi through her lament. Just before this passage, we've read now how on two occasions Ruth is present. She's a witness to Naomi's bitterness and her lament, and her complaints. First, on the, the road uh, back to Bethlehem, back in Moab, when they stand at the crossroads, Ruth hears Naomi's complaint. And then again, here on the streets of Bethlehem, she has seen and heard Naomi voice her pain. 
But notice, Ruth doesn't need to diminish Naomi's lament. She doesn't need to explain it away. Ruth listens to her. We're told Ruth weeps with her. And then we're told Ruth walks with her. She commits to being part of this family no matter what. Remember those vows that Ruth takes in last week's passage, right? From now on, your family is my family. Your God is my God. I will go where you go. I will die where you die. We will be together. I think that's important to take stock of first because, because in doing so, Ruth demonstrates that she is invested, that she can be trusted, that she will be with Naomi. But as one who is with Naomi, one who is walking alongside her, we also see Ruth taking the initiative to pursue blessing. Ruth possesses something that that Naomi has almost given up on, and that's hope. Right? Hope that there is something after all the bitterness. Hope that Mara can become Naomi again someday. And so we're told that once they arrive back in Bethlehem and they settle into their new home, almost immediately Ruth comes to her mother-in-law, verse 2. She says, let me go to the fields. Let me pick up the the excess, the leftover grain that God has sent upon the land. And let me gather behind anyone in whose eyes I might find favor. Ruth hopes she seeks the favor of others, the blessing of others. That word favor is one that shows up throughout the Old Testament, and it expresses what it's, what it's like to be part of a relationship that is good, a relationship that is life-giving, a relationship that is marked by kindness and mercy and generosity and blessing. When we experience favor, we are filled up rather than emptied out. But for Ruth to do this takes risk. Courage. Remember that Ruth enters Bethlehem as a Moabite, and it, it says so, that's emphasized here in these verses. Ruth's appearance, Ruth's customs, Ruth's way of speaking, all of those things would signal every day in every context that she is an outsider, that she doesn't belong there. And yet she goes into the field, she makes herself vulnerable believing and hoping that she will receive favor from someone. As one commentator says, Ruth is a woman of action. And she risks her way forward, and she stumbles into the field of a man named Boaz, who, as providence would have it, is not only a man full of favor, and blessing, and kindness, 
but will turn out to be a kinsman, a relative of Naomi's family. Boaz, in, in the chapters ahead, will become part of this family's refilling. But it takes Ruth to pursue it. It takes her tenacity to believe that's possible. And we see that same tenacity expressed again in verses 5, 6, and 7. Not only does Ruth go out to the field and risk rejection, but once she gets there, we're told in the, in the overseer's conversation with Boaz, the kind of woman Ruth is. It says Ruth shows up early in the morning to begin gleaning in the fields. But then as she gleans, she comes to the overseer and she makes a rather unusual request. The, the general practice of gleaning was that, that the farmers, the, the righteous farmer, would leave the corners of the field and, and sort of the things that fell out, the things that fell to the ground as they harvest, they would leave them for, for those who had little that they could come by and pick them up. But Ruth asks not just to pick up the extra on the ground, or at the corners, she asks for permission to go glean from among the sheaves, from among the, the things that have already been harvested, the, the grade A part of the harvest. She asks permission to glean from as well. And I think the overseer is a bit put off by this, and so he has her wait until the owner, the landlord, Boaz, comes to weigh in on her request. But Ruth is hungry for favor. She is hungry for God's blessing. She is tenacious in her desire to be filled up because she walks with one who knows she is empty. And she invites the favor and the blessing in whatever place, in whatever way she can find it to be poured out on her family. So we think about those dynamics of both acknowledging our hunger, acknowledging our emptiness, and also acknowledging the possibility of being made full. I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table because it's a place that the hungry are invited to taste of the richness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God.